Yeah, you're creating kids who want to learn and actually understand that there's a process for them to learn. Everybody has their own process, right? And, you know, you're creating lifelong learners and kids will have agency. And that's, I mean, if we could do that as teachers, we'd hit a home run, right? It's easy to talk about the successes, but what doesn't get talked about enough is the struggle. My name is Eric Weinmayer. I've gotten the chance to ascend Mount Everest, to climb the tallest mountain in every continent, to kayak the Grand Canyon, and I happen to be blind. It's been a struggle to live what I call a no barriers life, to define it, to push the parameters of what it means. And part of the equation is diving into the learning process and trying to illuminate the universal elements that exist along the way. In that unexplored terrain between those dark places we find ourselves in and the summit exists a map. That map, that way forward, is what we call no barriers. Today we learn to innovate with Lisa Yokana, who teaches the Harvard Graduate School of Education's online class, Thinking and Learning in the Maker-Centered Classroom. She leads workshops and presents at conferences that encourage educators to shift their practice and integrate design, thinking, and making into their curriculum. Lisa is also the STEAM coordinator at Scarsdale High School in New York City. Enjoy the conversation. Well, welcome everybody to this week's episode of the No Barriers podcast. As you all have heard, in the month of September, we've been focusing on stories that tie to education and our youth and the struggles that uh, we're all facing in light of how to learn and grow in today's COVID times. And today we have another guest. We're excited to focus in on that theme. Uh, Lisa Yukana is joining us. Welcome, Lisa, to the show. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. And Eric, welcome back. Another good conversation. Thank you. Yeah, Lisa, awesome. Thank you for being with us. You have your hands like on a, in a lot. It seems like this design thinking, I mean, there's so much collabor- collaboration and interdisciplinary study. So like, what what does your day look like? My regular day or my day these days? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, let's say your day is these days. Yeah. yeah. So, like, what are you um, teaching this year, starting out the year? Yeah, I teach um, entrepreneurship. So we have a social entrepreneurship course which is pretty much our capstone course for our STEAM. We say STEAM, not STEM. And really- you, you, you got art in there. Yes, well, art and design, right? You've got to think like a designer. You've got to think creatively. You've got to think outside the box. Otherwise, you're not making anything new. Did the art folks, they were really sad when STEM happened. They're like, wait, what about the A? Well, yes. And I just don't even talk to the STEM people because that's not really a thing. <laughs> They're all really doing STEAM. They just don't know it, right? And, and for our listeners who have no idea what the heck we're talking about right now, what what's STEAM, STEM? What are we talking about? So the STEAM is science, technology, engineering, art, and math. And literally our board of ed came to us probably seven or eight, maybe seven or eight years ago and said, we want you to teach the kids engineering And I said, "Mm, not so fast. So we we took a bunch of time and crafted this three-level program, which basically introduces kids to the concepts of design and engineering and making and really focuses on designing for others, 
we really focus on helping kids understand that they can make a difference in the world. So our, our three levels of courses sort of teach kids the design process, and then they sort of scaffold the experience. So like in a nutshell, tell us like how, how the process begins and how you take kids through it. You know, the design process is big and messy and problems are big and messy. Like the problems that are worth solving in the world are big, messy, sticky problems, right? And, you know, I was saying to my new class of entrepreneurship this morning, I said, if we said to you, go out and solve global warming, what would happen? Right. And they all were like, uh, I said, exactly, you'd be paralyzed, right? That's way too big. You can't solve that problem. Not now, but if you start to look at it locally and start to think about, so we do a lot of systems thinking, we start to break apart systems. So one thing that I felt is really important as we crafted the program too, was that we wanted to constrain the problems. We knew that finding a problem, a good problem would be difficult for kids, but it's also like the really good hard work too. And, and the kids have talked about how that's the most meaningful part of the process for them, that it's really, it's, it's an amazing learning experience to sort of drill down and figure out what a good problem is. It's also, it's also one way to sort of limit the problems. And in the first- I love that. That sounds so interesting because like, as you're saying, like part of the process is picking the right problems, right? right? Like, so if you pick a bad or unsolvable or pr- pr- too conceptual of a problem, right. you're already, you're already- you know, kind of, kind of messed up. Yes. And I think that, yeah. It's so true. Like it's, you get stifled by a problem that's so large that like, where would I even start? And part of what you're trying to do is teach kids a process they can use no matter what problems they choose in the future. So exactly. eliminating that, that challenge of picking the problem that they care the most about is a good first step. Right. But even within the space of we focus on disability, there's lots of problems there. Right. So many. So Lisa, I know you, I know obviously one of your projects, which was a designing adaptive clothing for kids with disabilities. Tell us about some of the highlights. I, I know you've done more than that. And tell us about that project as well. Yeah, so that, that's a great project. The students designed for children who, were dressed, who have to be dressed horizontally because they realized that uh, when they visited, this was the first year. So when we visited the home for for kids, they realized was that, that the Sunshine Home is that what Sunshine it's called? Sunshine Home, yep, yeah. in Austin, New York, yep. And they realized that the kids were often wearing like old, you know, t shirts, and they were clean and very comfortably dressed. But sometimes the t shirts weren't really age appropriate, and you know, like an older child would have like a Barney t shirt on or something that wasn't, you know, quite a teenage kind of thing. And they, they were really focusing on the idea of dignity, that dignity is something that they wanted everyone to have access to. And so they also cared a lot about clothes. They talked a lot about how they expressed themselves through their clothing, and they wanted kids, older kids who cannot dress themselves to have those choices. So they designed a shirt that opened like a book that had snap tape under the arms and Velcro down the sides. And so a child could be laid on it and then the the shirt could simply be closed around them. But they also, um, they added a bunch of cool features. So they had a a t-shirt like pocket in the front that actually would hide a feeding tube because they wanted kids to feel dignified if that's what, what they used. And then in the back, it had two pieces of conductive fabric that married to a pad on the wheelchair and it completed a circuit when the child was sitting the way a therapist or their caregiver had placed them. But if they slipped out of position, 
the circuit would be broken and it would alert the caregiver through a light or a buzzer because they thought a lot about how how uncomfortable it might it must be to sit in one position if you can't control your movement. So that's been one very very successful project. I heard you guys were taking these like old toys and and uh, converting them into a more adaptive toys for for folks with disabilities too. Yeah, that's kind of how we got into um, a little bit into this space is that so I have a niece who has cerebral palsy and is nonverbal and uses a wheelchair and her mom, my sister-in-law works with Adaptive Design Association in New York City and they actually they create cardboard adaptations of furniture for children with disabilities. And they've made my niece, I think, eight or nine different things. So I kind of got involved with Adaptive Design Association. I sent some students there for an internship and it really was mind blowing for them. And then I was on their website and I realized that they did toy hacking, they taught workshops. So one Saturday morning, I and a couple of students headed down to New York City and um, they were the only kids in the room. The other people in the room were occupational therapists or physical therapists. But they learned, I didn't learn, they learned how to hack toys. And we ended up hacking a bunch of toys before the holidays and giving them to a local home for kids. And it was great. The kids were so blown away by that. I bet the interaction at the end of, you know, giving that away is really joyful too. Absolutely. Just the perfect icing on the cake. Well, that's, I mean, that's why you do it, right? To see the kids. My kids' faces, the other kids' faces, and the interaction between the two. And one of them just grabbed this bubble making machine and clutched it to her chest and was not letting go. So that was, <laughs> <laughs> and our kids just thought awesome. that was great. It strikes me that the work that you do with students as a teacher, wouldn't it be great if we could all have a teacher like you in our lives coaching us through? choosing the problems that are the right problems and then how to go about tackling them. I think in today's day and age, many of us feel the desire to make a difference and to help some way. If I'm someone listening and thinking, I want to help and make a difference and change the world. And gosh, there's so much I could, so much need in light of COVID. And we're just seeing so much need in the world today. And you're my teacher. and I'm an adult, actually. How do I start? Where, where do I like? I just want to. I want to help, but I don't know where to go. What, what's your advice, Lisa, for how how to just get started? The biggest thing is to do something, right? Because especially teachers, we talk a lot. You know, adults particularly talk a lot, right? And I think there's so many great free resources out there. I mean, and No Barriers has some great stuff, right? Of things that you can do in your classroom. I think really just try something. There's a, a lot of information on the design process. People can reach out to me. I'm happy to point them in, in good directions. So step one is try something. Try you know, don't, something. Don't get stifled in not, gosh, I don't know where to start, so I'm not going to do anything. Right? Yeah, and you know, it's an iteration, right? Like you learn from failure. And I always, every single year at the start of the year, I say to my kids, you are my guinea pigs for the year. We're going to do a bunch of stuff. Some of it's going to work. Some of it's going to be massively failures. You know, and that's just the way it is, but we'll learn from it. I'll learn from it. You'll learn from it. You'll give me feedback. I'll give you feedback. And we're all going to learn because that's what life's about, right? You learn from being uncomfortable. And sometimes we all just need to sit in that place of being uncomfortable. And that's what we learn from, right? The whole idea really is for kids to learn by doing, right? Not just talking about it. We really, really stress like bias towards action. We want you to do. So Lisa, how has 
the design process changed now that we're in COVID times and you're having to do things more virtually and the structure and the spacing around the classroom has totally changed. Like, are you still allowed to use the equipment, the 3D printers, like all the hands-on incredible toys that are that, that used to be available to you? So we, we spent the summer reimagining things and um, we have a protocol for the lab, but we do have a way for kids to use machinery and tools. Um, we have different ends of the lab that have woodworking at one end and um, 3D printers and other digital fabrication at the other end. And those rooms each have capacities. One has three, one has six. So we will be able to have students in those rooms. We'll just have to you know, make sure that they, and they're great. I, I, my students are great. So, you know, we just make sure that when they're in those rooms, they're just aware of one another and, and they'll be good about it. I think the more difficult thing has been to sort of think about working in a, a remote, like in a remote t- teaching environment and an in-person teaching environment. And we learned a lot last spring. My district was one of the first to go home. I think we went home March 9th because we're right close to New, Ro- New Rochelle. And we spent a lot of time, March, April, May, June, teaching virtually. And I learned when you look at all those little squares, your little students on Zoom, that um, there is nothing worse than talking at kids in that virtual environment. Like I can't stay, like I just realized like I'm on a webinar, I have 10 minutes in, I'm done, I can't. So what we really thought about is, and I think it's going to inform our teaching going forward. Any content delivery we have to do is going to be via videos that they watch um, on their own time. So I make like screencastifies and, you know, whatever, whatever tool you use. And I literally take the slide decks that we used to do in person and I just do voiceovers and they watch them. And then, you know, at the end I say, what questions do you have? Come to class with them. And then we'll start the class either in person or remotely with, okay, you guys watch that. What questions do you have? Great. Breakout rooms or turn and talk in your, in your groups. Um, and then they really spend the majority of the class time, whether it's remote or in person, working in groups. And I think that, I think that is going to carry over to post-COVID times, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, because it seems like an efficient sort of, there's an efficiency there of like not wasting time right doing the stuff all the foundational stuff ahead of time which you can do maybe hands off and then and then diving right into the hands-on experience yeah and and doing the collaboration when when you're together right yeah and it, it was one of my colleagues one of my teachers who also teaches math some math courses and she said to me it's probably like i don't know the end of march she said i've started making videos and the kids tell me it's great because I'm doing a problem and they can stop it and they can go back if they're confused and they can play it over and over again if they need to. And then they come to class with questions. And I was like, that's brilliant. I'm going to do that too. How do you manage the get your hands dirty, create stuff when you're not together? How do you do that? Well, so a lot of what we do, and when we went home in March, all of our entrepreneurship teams, I think we had 12 teams last year, all of them were about to finish their final prototype and we got the call Sunday night and no one went in on Monday and we didn't go in until, you know, this September and all of their prototypes were still sitting there. So we said, okay, we know you don't have your prototypes. 
you have to make a very low resolution way of getting your idea across to someone. You're going to make a video and you can make an animation. You can use stick figures and a flip book. It doesn't matter. Very low resolution way of getting your idea across to someone of what your prototype is. And then you are going to cold email and cold call at least 10 people and get feedback. And it was amazing. People were so kind to my kids and they, and what a skill that is to, to reach out to someone and say, to draft an email and say, hi, my name is, and I am a senior at Scarsdale High School and I've been working on this thing all year. And to have to like succinctly describe what you're doing. Do you have five minutes to watch this video? And could, could we jump on a call to talk about it? Because we, we always get feedback from the kids at the end of the year, like what, what was good, what didn't work, what did you like? And they all said, what an incredible skill that was, how uncomfortable it was for them to do that at first. Like they were dying. And, but they all said like, I'm so confident now that I can call anyone or email anyone and ask them for something. And that's like, I said, you know, that's a great skill for life, but it's also a great entrepreneurial skill. Yeah. Marketing. It's almost like, yeah, this, you got to add another M into the steam. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think it's so common to, to get locked in your own head that, oh, this idea is great and I'm going to just go design the whole thing and finish it all and put it out in the world. It's going to be this beautiful thing that everyone wants. And that stage of the process of, no, 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 wait, 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 just design a pretty simple thing and then put it in front of other people and get their feedback. That's going to enhance your product so much. We use a lot of the um, lean startup methodology and it's, it's literally prototype test, pivot or persevere. So, yeah, and, and we do it early, early on because, you know, we know there are so many stories of companies spending hundreds of millions of dollars on a product, getting it out into the market, and it totally flops when they should have just actually asked their users if it, if it was something they were interested in or not. So we, we make our kids prototype really, I say quick and dirty, really, really quickly that will give them maybe 15 minutes to prototype something. And, you know, when they're home, it's like, well, you've got cardboard because you've been getting Amazon packages, right? And you got a steak knife, you can cut that, that package up and and Mm -hmm. use it and probably you have some glue. So figure it out, right? Maybe you have some pipe cleaners in the basement, who knows, right? So kids were able to make when they were home. There's also so many great online tools, they can do animations, you know, A question just occurred to me, like, so you're talking about this iterative process, right? Which is like, really keep your ears open. But what, what do you, what do you say to like, you always hear about these like folklore stories about like Steve Jobs or something there and designing something the world didn't even know they needed it until he pushed it into the world and said, you need this. And, you know, so how do you balance between that process of listening and iterating what people need and this like legend of the visionary who builds something, the world latches onto it. Well, I think, I mean, it's a great point, right? There's very few Steve Jobs in the world, right? Right. But I think entrepreneurs really have to have that balance of humility, right? They have to be humble. They have to to, um, be open to feedback. It's something we talk to kids all the time about. When you are getting feedback, you do not, you do not defend your product. Right. Not allowed. You sit, you take notes, you can ask questions of the person giving you feedback, but you may not defend. Because hey, this sounds like marriage. Yeah. <laughs> wow. wow. Amazing. Okay. There's a lot of parallels here. <laughs> See, like preparing you for life. <laughs> 
Yeah. So we, we really teach them to listen, but we also, we, we make them listen. There's a great podcast, How I Built This, which is, um, you know, entrepreneurs being interviewed. And so many of them talk about how someone told them their idea was terrible and they just kept persevering. They kept going. I have a friend who used to teach at Stanford in the design school and he had this, he was a TA at the time and they had the, the, the students had to do a project and this guy came to him and said, so I have this great idea for an app, you know, kids will post pictures and their friends will see it and it won't, you know, it won't stay up very long, but they'll, they'll just have this picture up that they can share with their friends for a little while. And my friend said, that's a terrible idea. Don't you that? Awful. But you can ask the professor. And he went and asked the professor. The professor said, stupidest idea I ever had, I ever heard, but go ahead, make it, go ahead. Snap that. Yeah. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are not the holders of knowledge, right? I always say, right. kids, I have no idea if it's a good idea. Prototype it, test it, yeah. get out there, talk to your users. So mm. very important to do. Cool. Lisa, I want to get back to this idea uh, that we you were talking about the the schools. You know, you, you've said very honestly that you're from a school that has the flexibility to do this kind of teaching that has a whole lab that kids can go do it. What about the teachers listening here that say, oh, I have, if I'm lucky, 10 minutes a day where I'm allowed to be creative outside of what I'm told I have to teach. How, what's your advice for folks who are in that kind of situation that, is, that seems very different? I would say hack the curriculum, right? Look at what you have to teach because so many of these schools are mandated to teach X, Y, and Z. And you can, t- you can teach this way across disciplines, right? So look at what you have to teach and then figure out a way for the kids to learn it by doing something, right? So um, I've done a ton of inter- interdisciplinary projects with, um, with other teachers, did this great project with a very gifted social studies teacher. She wanted the kids to understand the complexity of World War II. She said, like, every time I've taught it, it's, it's fallen flat. There's too many things. It's just like it's overwhelming for kids. So we ended up creating a project where the kids – had to make a memorial, like a model of a memorial, and they worked in groups, and she gave them each a different area. So like Australia, by the way, I never knew that Australia was in World War II, but apparently they were. And yeah. um, like, how would, how would the people in Australia want to remember World War II and the people that were lost? And they, um, they end up making these great models. They think about, you know, what does architecture and structures how do they create meaning? How does actually physically walking through a space make you feel? Now, how can we create spaces if we want to identify emotions that people want to feel? Now, how do we create spaces that will do that? And in the meantime, by the way, they've learned all the content because they have yeah. to understand like, oh, wow, Australia was in World War II. Well, who was, who was fighting? Whose side were they on? Who are the people they, you know, all of a sudden, they have to learn it, but they're also very motivated to learn that content. So I would say, like, figure out what it is you want the kids to learn and then work backwards and figure out a way for them to make something that embodies that. That's so cool. I am thinking it's like backwards. You know, it, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's backwards to what is traditionally done. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm watching this cheesy Netflix show and they keep talking about flipping the switch or flipping the script. And I'm like, that's what you're kind of doing. You're 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 flipping the script and making empowering kids to learn the same stuff even more 
but through a, sort of a better process of, of power. Yeah, you're creating kids who want to learn and, yeah. and actually understand that there's a process for them to learn. Everybody has their own process, right? And, you know, you're creating lifelong learners and kids will have agency. And that's, I think that's, I mean, if we could do that as teachers, we'd hit a home run, right? Yeah. The world would be a better place. Lisa, I'm curious. We've talked a lot about what you teach and how you teach it and how it's pivoted. Uh, we haven't talked much about how you got into this. Tell us, you know, how did you end up being the social entrepreneur teacher of design thinking? Well, I, I've had so many careers. It's crazy. Yeah, I used to ride horses professionally. Uh, I was an artist. Um, I've done so. I worked in museums, done curatorial work. I mean, I've been, you know, well, I don't know. I just keep reinventing myself. But I think, um, so I was teaching studio art and architecture. And... I saw kids in my classroom, particularly in architecture, I would have, you know, a classroom of like 18 boys and two girls. And, um, and I would see kids who were brilliant spatially um, and very, very creative and yet failed miserably at school, just miserably. And they got no credit for being brilliant in these other ways, right? So we don't actually, we don't give anyone credit for that unless you grow up and be an architect. And I just thought there's something really wrong, right? Why aren't we valuing these kids? And I could also see when, when they would do something and they would get um, kudos from their classmates, you could watch their self-esteem just grow right in front of your eyes. And it was so incredible. And I just wanted to do more of that. So I just started hacking my curriculum and um, my architecture classes would take on real design projects and we would redesign our library or we redesigned the youth room in the local public library. And then the kids presented to the real architects and, oh, and redesigned elementary school classrooms for, for different classes and watching my kids, first of all, get so passionate about doing something real and then so excited when they could see like, someone actually heard them, they could make a change. It's just like, why aren't we doing this? Like, why aren't we educating that that way? So, you know, when they, when our board of ed said, teach the kids engineering, it just became an opportunity. And, and we have very progressive parents and very savvy parents. So, you know, you say like, we want your, we want to teach your kids skills so that they will be better prepared for life. We want them to think like entrepreneurs. Our parents went, okay, that sounds yeah, <laughs> sounds great. Which I mean, I'm sure it's much harder in a school where, you know, kids aren't, they don't have food and some of them are homeless and, you know, they're having a hard time even just with the basics. So mm-hmm. I, I'm incredibly fortunate, but I still think there's a way to reinvent education so that kids really are passionate about making and doing things and, and making change in the world. Yeah, mm, that's beautiful. Lisa, thank you so much for all that you're doing with students today and what you've taught our listeners here and for being a member of our No Beers community. It's a joy to have you here. Thank you. It's been wonderful to hang out with you guys. Can I join your class? Like, just sit there. They're like, who's this older <laughs> student that's joined us today? <laughs> Seems like his forehead is quite large for a 17-year-older. You are more than welcome anytime. You just let me know. I'll send you a Zoom link. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Always welcome. All right. Thanks, Lisa. So, uh, Eric, 
what stood out for you in today's conversation? I mean, this is just, I'm blown away because so many good thoughts are going through my head. Like, you know, in No Barriers, for instance, we talk about No Barriers as this map, as this process. And it's not design thinking, but it, it definitely has a lot of crossover to this idea of design thinking. And I was thinking, as I was listening to Lisa, we, you know, we teach kids, not, all right, this is just me personally, don't, I hope people don't attack me for this idea, but you have kids learning how to debate, right? And that's like taking a topic and proving that you're right, you know? And that's, those kids will make great politicians, <laughs> but they're, they're not solving problems necessarily. They're, they're taking an issue and trying to prove they're right. And like, maybe that makes good lawyers, but, and good politicians. But I, I feel like this kind of thinking, this design thinking, this mindset of collaboration, of going through a vulnerable process, having to figure out how to bring something new into the world. It's a total paradigm shifting game changer to how our brains think and how we, how we approach life. And, and then really solve the problems of the future. So I, I just, I, this is, to me, this is like the key equation um, to the educational system. Well, I thank you listeners for joining us. If you're curious about any of the things that were specifically mentioned today, uh, whether it's details about the school or some of the projects you heard about or design thinking itself, you can always check our show notes. Uh, if you have enjoyed this conversation, we encourage you to share it with someone else. And if you're interested in the topic of how schools are addressing the challenging time of today, uh, there are several other podcasts that you can check out. So check our podcast history and there's some other great conversations we've had. For now, I uh, hope you enjoyed the conversation and take good care. Yeah, I mean, it's really incredible. We've had uh, this educational series. We've had three amazing educators. And so... Uh, congrats to all teachers out there who are working and iterating and struggling right now. I hope you have learned from some of these conversations. Really just like a applause to all the teachers out there who are, who are making it work for our students. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. No barriers. production team behind this podcast includes senior producer Pauline Schaefer, executive producer Diedrich Jonk, sound design, editing, and mixing by Tyler Cotman, graphics by Sam Davis, and marketing support by Megan Lee and Carly Sandsmark. Special thanks to the Dan Ryan Band for our intro song, Guidance. And thanks to all of you for listening. We know that you've got a lot of choices about how you can spend your time, and we appreciate you spending it with us. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to it, share it, and give us a review. Show notes can be found at nobarrierspodcast.com. And soon they will be fine.